naso. So, I have to say, teaching Dharma is so easy. It's really easy. Last night I had no idea what I would talk about this morning, except for just, well, lead the meditation, recite, you know, for great mudita. Nothing else came to mind. So that's good enough. Then I'm meditating this morning and heard a bunch of stuff. And so I'll tell you what I heard. <laughs> I, you know, please don't read anything into that, like I'm having some divine transmission. I'm just saying, you know, stuff that comes to mind. That's, that's it. I mean, that's the whole thing. Just I'm sitting there doing nothing at all. And then, okay, yeah, we'll do. Okay, got it. I, I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> it's really easy. I'm still interpreting it. It used to be Geshe Rathen, it was Gyanlam Rimba, Gyatu Rinpoche, it's all in it, still interpreting, but I'm interpreting for nobody. <laughs> so we move to this marvelous synthetic third of the greats, Mahamudita. And you know how it starts, but let's just review it briefly. It's enormously rich. So why couldn't all sentient beings never be parted from sublime happiness free of suffering? That's it. So we know it's gone before. We've had the great compassion, which is may we, in terms of freedom from suffering, then we have great loving kindness that we may be endowed with happiness and its causes. And now we see in this this Mahayana mode, this great mudita, that it's a synthesis now. Because it's... Why might we not be, why couldn't we never be parted from sublime happiness? Well, that's loving kindness. May you never be parted from sublime happiness. That's loving kindness. That aspiration is loving kindness, free of suffering. Oh, but that's compassion. That's compassion. But you see, I mean, you could just, you could just, if somebody wants to recite something 100,000 times, I suggest that. That will sink in. And if you recite it nice and slowly, don't go like a little chipmunk on steroid, you know, like that. Seeing how quickly you can run your way through, finish that, you know. But just go slowly, free of suffering. Never be parted from sublime happiness. So I told you before, I checked that out with the expert, my wife, Esna. Satsuka, satsuka, sublime happiness. That word sat is the same word as in sad-dharma, sad-dharma, like sad-dharma, pundarika sutra, the holy dharma, the white, the white lotus sutra, the holy dharma of the white lotus sutra, sad-dharma, that comes up a lot, sad-dharma, the sublime dharma, sublime dharma, right? something sacred, something that will lead you to freedom and to awakening, something that's not simply feeling good, but a, well, a sense of well-being that actually makes you feel better and better and better until you're completely awake. That's sublime happiness. We can get not sublime happiness from ice cream, but that makes you want to have more ice cream. But it doesn't transform the one who experiences it, right? Whereas sadsukha, satsukha, that transforms the one who experiences it. And now we should have a very clear idea what that means. It's not some kind of a vague, oh, like that. No, it's something very specific. It's sublime well-being sacred well-being. Tibetans speak this word dhamba, dewa dhamba. Dhamba is the term I'm translating here is sublime. As in sublime dharma, they often speak of kibu dhamba, sublime beings, like Chogi Tijin that I told you about last night. It's a sublime being, sublime being. There's a being who is his, his saturated, it's just like ice cream, it's just sweet all the way through. Here's a being who is sublime all the way through. There's no part there's nothing outside of that. You just wanna, that's why you say sublime being, because everything there is sublime, you know. Dundamdamba, this Tibetan. Dundamdamba. Dundamdamba. We usually translate, most of us, including I, translate, we translators, we translate Dundamdamba as ultimate reality or ultimate truth. Dundamdamba. Like to know what that actually means? Dundamdamba. Damba here means reality, not so much truth. A statement is a truth. Macintosh apples are green. That's a truth. 
But a green apple is not a truth. It's a reality. There are green apples. So this is reality. Satyakam is reality. And dundamdamba, a reality of the sublime meaning. Dundam. The reality of sublime meaning, or the sublimely meaningful reality. That's ultimate reality. That's emptiness. That's nirvana. Dhammadhatu. Just to give you the feel of the word. Because right? I have that, because I speak Tibetan. So I'd like, if you can be really fluent with a few words, that'd be really good. You know? So dundam damba. But now we have Dewa Damba, really easy, Dewa Damba, easy to pronounce in English also, Dewa Damba. So, sublime well-being. And you can say happiness if you like, it's fine. Sukha. Satsukha. Well, we now should have a very clear idea what that means. Not something vague, nebulous, airy-fairy. The three levels of it would have made it extremely clear, right there in the Pali Canon. Right? Three levels of this Satsukha. First of these, that, that sense of well-being that stems from a clear conscience and contentment. Right? It's really sublime. You can be poor, you can be rich, you can be healthy, you can be sick. You can still never be parted from the sublime sense of well-being that stems from a clear conscience and contentment. And of course, that comes about directly within the category or the context of ethics. So there's no reason, really, if if we're really asking this question seriously, why couldn't all sentient beings never be parted from sublime happiness, free of suffering, empty of suffering, devoid of suffering? Why couldn't? Well, really, what's so hard about ethics? I mean, just, you know, nonviolence, being a bit benevolent when you can. You know, what's so hard about that? Why couldn't at least all human beings, animals is harder, but at least all human beings, why couldn't? We have seven billion of us here. There is enough food if we're really wise. There are enough resources if we're wise. So why couldn't we all just be ethical? Why couldn't we all simply be living together and living on occasion in solitude, just never parted from a sublime sense of well-being, it is sublime in the sense, you know, even if you never meditate for one minute, you can, have a, you can live in such a way in terms of your conduct that allows you a free conscience and a, a free conscience that's imbued with wisdom. That's not free conscience just because you're ignoring all the rotten things you do, but in fact you're very, very well aware with discerning intelligence, ethical intelligence, you're very well aware that really you have nothing to regret. Or if you do, then you recognize it, you purify it, and you move on, right? Not exactly expecting that we'll never make a mistake again, but just recognize them, and then don't do them again. You know, it's not that hard. Of course, it's not that hard if you've really developed your introspective ability to be able to recognize mental afflictions when they come up, and then say hello, and not swallow them. You know, not let them get inside and then dominate you. You know, so it's not that hard. So there's no, re- I, I don't see any reason why at least all human beings. Other beings as well that have the intelligence, have the ability to make wise choices. Why we couldn't never be parted from a sense of well-being that is rooted in ethics. And then we know beyond that, why couldn't we be? Why couldn't we never be parted from the sublime happiness of samadhi? Not just samadhi, single-pointed attention, the higher training of samadhi, which is, as I mentioned before, it's the four immeasurable, it's the four greats, it's Everything in between ethics and wisdom, that whole bandwidth. You know, there's a lot of dharma in there, enormous amount of dharma in there, in that higher training in samadhi. And it occurred to me this morning, man, it just, it just happened like, oh, thank you, is that the culmination of samadhi, I'll just, I've never heard this said before, but I think it's true, kind of because I, I don't see how it couldn't be true, kind of process of elimination. I think the culmination of a higher training in samadhi is bodhicitta, relative bodhicitta. I think that's it. I think that's where it comes to perfection. That's my sense. I could be wrong, but if I'm wrong, I'm not catastrophically wrong. It won't do anybody any harm. But in terms of samadhi, you know, cultivating the four measurables, cultivating great compassion, great loving kindness, great empathetic joy, great equanimity, the extraordinary resolve, bodhicitta. Now, within the bandwidth of samadhi, what's higher than bodhicitta? In terms of purifying the mind, in terms of accruing merit, I mean, there's something beyond, there's something, you know, it's right next door, it's called ultimate bodhicitta. 
about relative bodhicitta, maybe that's as good as it gets. It won't liberate you all by itself. That won't be enough, as samadhi has never been enough. But it's certainly pretty good. Right? So why couldn't all sentient beings never be parted from that? I met just a couple of days ago, I had dinner with the uh, new headmaster of the school here in Tanyapura. I was very impressed by him. He seemed like a very fine, very fine man, open, interested. Uh, I really had a sense he had some noble qualities. I was impressed. And we had a kind of a long dinner and started speaking about attention and how important the training of attention is in education. Because he's really, it looks like he's going to be an outstanding headmaster here. He took to it. Oh, did he take to it. Just like drinking it in. Oh, this is important. This is important. Really got into it quickly. Tell me, when we, had, oh, well, we, went, we, we went on and on and on. And I cited William James, and I talked about relaxation, stability, vividness. You know me. Turn me on, and I'm not going to... I'm just, I'm just going to keep on going until you know, my batteries run out. You know, I think you might have figured out by now, I just don't run out of enthusiasm here. And when I see a man that could really do some good for a school with like 270 kids right now, and it's getting better and it's getting bigger, well, you know, I'm not going to stop. Well, he was just drinking. It was a wonderful conversation. Klaus, Klaus, Klaus Heaven, we, the three of us, uh, were just reveling. It was just a delightful conversation. Right. And I was speaking about how important it is, you know, introduce this in, in, for kindergartens. And then I mentioned a good friend of mine, Susan Kaiser Greenland, found very skillful means, really skillful, smart, loving, effective means for little kids, how they can develop attention skills in five minutes, you know, a little five-minute sessions. And that's fun. You know, she's good. She's really good. So, when we see, you know, here's a man I sensed, not at all religious, but very good heart, good motivation, highly intelligent, very experienced. Uh, he had a lot of experience in education. I sensed also some real humility. When I said, just right towards the beginning of the conversation, I said, well, you're, you're, you're an expert in education. He said, oh, no, no, no I'm, I'm no expert. Well, then you're entitled to your opinion, but from my perspective, you're an expert, you know. So, but then you see, look, this was simply an open-minded man, intelligent, altruistic, wanting to do a really good job of heading a school that has a lot of promise. And he took to it so immediately. So why couldn't all children? Why? Why couldn't all children be tr develop their attention skills, develop mental balance, relaxation, stability, vividness, develop empathy, develop even heart? Why? Why is it not already happening? Why is this so difficult? Why haven't we been doing this for the last... Why do, we call it, why do we call ourselves civilized? When this gets overlooked, why we're not teaching genuine happiness in every single school on the planet? Why is that not taking place? Are we just stupid or what? And sometimes I just... Oh, jeez. Why? Why couldn't all such beings never be parted from the sublime well-being of knowing reality as it is? Reality is in the palm of the hand. Reality is in the center of our heart. It's everywhere. It is right there. Our Buddha nature. Nirvana is not someplace else. It's right here. So why? Since it's already here already, it's already who we are, why can't we simply realize who we already are? Why couldn't all such beings never be parted from such sublime well-being. We don't have to do something to achieve it. We simply have to realize what's already there. So why not? Why couldn't all sentient beings never be parted from sublime happiness, free of suffering? Well, of course, by that we mean free of blatant suffering, free of the suffering of change, and free of pervasive existential suffering. And then the answer is, why not? Well, we haven't identified those. We haven't identified, by and large, anything other than blatant suffering. And then we tend to focus more on the effects rather than the underlying causes. That's why. And then we haven't even identified the suffering of change as being the suffering of change. So we need to start there. And then we need to identify pervasive existential suffering as actually being suffering and not just, well, what do you expect? So there's a lot of groundwork to be done there. But again, if this is true, it's true. You, know? you don't have to believe in something you don't believe before you can go into this. So this could happen. 
So we see clearly for all of these four greats, including the great mudita, mahamudita, these are all aspirations turning into resolves, right? Resolve. That's the Mayan aspect, the Bodhisattva aspect. But there is a continuity between this. And so happily, I won't need to speak much in the meditation, so you'll have this preamble. There is a continuity between this and the earlier, the Brahma-vihara of Murita, the divine abiding, or the immeasurable, empathetic joy. So you remember that clearly, taking delight in others' virtues, their successes, their happiness. So that too is imbued. That too is included here. But I'd like to do this in the following way. Old hands like Gache here and a number of others who've studied Lamrim or similar, similar modes of Dharma like the Lamde and the Sakya tradition and so on are very familiar that in some, as a number of the, uh, the great classic meditative practices for cultivating bodhicitta. They start by viewing all sentient beings as your, your mother, your parents, and then reflecting upon the kindness the kindness of all sentient beings, and, and then reflecting upon the kindness of your own mother for yourself. As you grew from, as you were in her womb, you were born, she took care of you through infancy and, th- and continued, continued on after that. So there's that, it's called kajintemba, it's called kajintemba, and that is recalling the kindness of others. Kajintemba, having viewed all sentient beings as your own kin, in the most benevolent possible way. Whatever problems you have with your kin, or grievances you have against your parents, stuff it. Get back to the core issues, you know. Get real. And so there's that view, and then there's recalling the kindness, and then there's, then there's the, the next phase is repaying the kindness, right? You recall the kindness, and then repaying the kindness. It's a natural, decent response. If somebody's shown you great kindness, then not in a sense of burden or obligation, or, oh, gee, now I have to do this, but rather for decent people, whether they're religious or not, if somebody does you a great kindness, you want to, you just kind of naturally want to reciprocate. You want to do something kind, at least saying thank you. Something. Not just walk away and say, well, I deserved it. That's kind of uncouth. I call that civilized. It's kind of like you could be a dog or a monkey. Thanks. You don't have any. And then just walk away, you know? That's not exactly, there's nothing noble about that. Kind of nothing at all. Like giving a, a cookie to a tree. You know, just, it just drops. You know. the tree just sits there. You want to drop pop cookies in my root? Go knock yourself out. Whatever. But we see here in this mudita. Mudita, we can, we can bring that in. We can bring that into the meditation this morning. And that is reflecting upon the kindness of others. You know, it's very much part of mudita. It's taking delight in. Taking delight in. The kindness of others. The kindness of others that goes laterally in front of you. you. You're seeing, if I may say so, I don't mind to embarrass anybody, but Elizabeth had a health challenge. Patrice was right there helping out. Helping out. Just there was an opportunity. She had the special skills and helping out. You know, that's what sentient beings do when we care for each other. We do that. It's good. And so taking delight in that. It can be going right in front of your eyes, go laterally. Or sometimes you'll see it's going towards, right towards you. And then, but taking delight, whether it's going to left or right, or right to left, up and down, or in front of you to you, or from you to somebody else, wherever it is, it's all the same. It's the flow of kindness, the flow of compassion, the flow of caring, uh, which enables us to survive and flourish. And so taking delight in that. But in this practice, especially taking delight in the sense of appreciation and gratitude for all the kindness that has flowed in upon us through this and previous lifetimes, to enable us to be where we are right now. Now, if you feel where you are right now is a terrible place, you'll probably be looking for somebody to blame, which then will not take you to a good place. Whereas if you look where you are right now, and I'm very much holding in heart and mind, people listening by podcast, if you can look at where you are right now and feel a sense of gratitude, a sense of the preciousness of the opportunity that's in the palm of your hand right now, wherever you are, whatever your situation is, because you've encountered Dharma. If you're listening to these podcasts, you've encountered Dharma. And I will say with no reflection on me at all, it's good Dharma. Whoever's saying it doesn't matter. It's good Dharma. 
and you've encountered it. We all have. In which case, you're very fortunate. Because many people have not encountered good dharma. And it's very hard to find happiness if you don't find good dharma. Sat dharma. Sublime dharma. It's so hard. So hard. So reflecting upon the kindness of others for ourselves, drinking that in, reflecting upon it, making it real for ourselves, as we're kind of breathing in and as we're breathing out, then thinking, how might I repay the kindness of my parents? And that is all sentient beings. How might I repay the kindness? Well, you kind of know. Why don't you make a resolve? Why don't you make a resolve to bring each one to a state where they're never parted, never separated from sublime happiness, free of suffering? That would be a really good step, in the great big step in the right direction. You want to repay the kindness of other sentient beings. That would be very good. That would not be too little. That would be appropriate, suitable, for all the kindness we've received. But then one might very intelligently say, well, okay, hold on there. I mean, that's, all, that's a really nice talk, Alan. You're a really good talker. But look, let's get real here. I make a living, other people make a living. I have mental afflictions, other people have mental afflictions. I work for a living, other people work for a living. They're not being kind to me, they're just making a living. I buy stuff from them, I give them money, they gave me stuff. You know? And so, so where's the kindness business? And my parents, yeah, they're, they're good, but man, they're pretty screwed up too. You know? So, yeah, they did their best, but I know they are better. And so, you know, and I went to school, but I paid tuition, so where's the kindness business? Where, where's this coming from? I mean, all I see is a world full of sentient beings with mental afflictions and self-centeredness being endemic all over the place. So exactly what part of this is... Why am I indebted to them? Why, they, why doesn't it all just play out evenly? I've done my part, they've done their part. Hey, it's square, right? We're square, we're even. I don't see any gratitude. You don't have to show me any gratitude. I don't show you any gratitude. You paid me for my services. I pay you for yours. Let's just walk away. That's one way of looking at it. And you see, it's not idiotic. It's not stupid. I mean, it's like, okay, it's pretty tough. But there it is, you know. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. So I see that. I understand that. You know, it's not stupid. And if that's the reality you want to live in, you can choose that one. You can choose that. And you'll not be an idiot. You're just choosing the prison of your choice. And then you can live in that prison because you created it. And now you can dwell there. And that's your choice. If that's where you want to live, I'm not going to try to persuade you to come out. But do leave the key. So if you ever do decide to come out, you open up the lock of the prison you've just put yourself inside of. Are there other ways of viewing? Of course there are. When we speak of the kindness of another person, we don't have, there's, we have more choices than to look at that person as simply a sentient being whose mind is as riddled with mental afflictions as bacon is with fat. That's an option. And it's not foolish. There's a reality there. You know, that's the way it is. Self-centeredness and self-grasping and all of that. It's, it's a reality there. But it's not the only choice. If it's if the only choice, then it's not a choice. It's just what you have to, you know, accept. That's a view. But we're in the context of a Dzogchen meditation here. And that's about having choices that you never knew you had, that are realistic choices, that are revolutionary choices. So what about this? Where we're coming inside to discover who we are. And we we move through the layers of sedimentation of I am a sentient being, I've got this level of klesha, this level of virtue, these skills, these limitations. You move through that. You just move right on through as you settle your mind in its natural state. You move right on through, right down to substrate consciousness. And then at least in your imagination, just keep on moving. Don't get stuck there. Keep moving right on through, right down to Buddha nature. And recall here, now we're in Dzogchen. Let's take that seriously. We're in Dzogchen here. Who's the agent? Who's the agent of all your actions? When you trace it right down to the source, when you're looking for the agent, who's the agent? From Mexico? From England? From Germany? Who's the agent? When you look through the layers of sedimentation, keep on going until you see your own face, until you see Samatabhadra. There's the agent. Now that's getting real. 
So when you attend to others, of course, don't be silly to think that they're, that they're somehow different. That when you trace them as agents to their source, that it goes someplace other than Samatabhadra. Right. If this is where you trace for yourself, then of course, if it's true for me, that's true for Michael. It's true for Robert. It's true for John. doesn't matter who. It's true for the earthworms on the pavement. It's true everywhere, right? This is one of those things. If you like, you remember what he said yesterday? One bamboo shoot, right? One bamboo shoot. If you find that's true for one, then it's true for all of the rest of them. So this is true for me. When I look inside, if I can't find a sentient being, and I have looked, if I can't find some real sentient being in there, if it's not only I can't find it, but I find that it's not to be found, that there is no sentient being in there to be found from my own side, some inherently existent real sentient being, if that's true for me, then I'm not really a sentient being at all, because it's just a fabrication, something conceptually constructed. If that's true for me, but then that's true for, for Guillermo. It's true for Amir. It's true for everyone. Right? It's got to be, because I'm not special. Nothing special about me at all. I figure that one out anyway. You know? And so, that's a choice then. When we see that, that becomes a choice. If you wish to view other sentient beings in that way, then you can see that every, every, you can view this way if you wish to choose it by seeing the emptiness of inherent nature of the sentient beings around you and then looking through the veneer, looking through the clouds, looking through your obscurations and see who is really there. Look into their eyes and see Samadabhattana. And then you'll know. You're engulfed in a field of compassion at all times. And sometimes the compassion manifests in a rough way, as an accident, as illness, as abuse, as pain and suffering. And sometimes it manifests in a beneficial way, benevolent, soft, gentle, kind way. It's not just karma on the deepest level. It's taknyam, equal purity. So then there's repaying kindness. And this would be a good way to do it. So I wanted to end just with a note. This came to mind, so I had to do it this morning. Because um, I remember this one prayer. I've mentioned it a couple of times, a number of times, that Dzogchen, in my view, maybe I'm wrong, Dzogchen, in my view, is not simply kind of a possession of Buddhist worldview. Like we have a franchise, we have a monopoly. You know, stay off, you know, you other people. Stay off, this is our turf. We have, we have Dzogchen, that's ours, you know? I think it's something larger than that. And I think I've seen indications of Dzogchen in many, many places without the stamp of this Buddhism. So there's a man I'm sure you've, you know of, Name is Master Eckhart. And I had to go to the computer today, I had to click, and then suddenly I saw all these quotes. And I thought, oh my goodness, I think I wanted to extend the retreat just so I can cover all the quotes from Meister Eckhart. Because each one was so incredibly good. And I just kept on copying one and another and another. But then I thought, I think I have to stop, because otherwise we'll have to have more days to the retreat. But this is the one I remembered. Meister Eckhart. If the only prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. Maybe one more. The, the eye through which I see God is the same eye through which God sees me. My eye and God's eye are one eye. One seeing, one knowing, one love. I can't stop. I have to go. And suddenly you know it's time to start something new and trust the magic of beginnings. One more. 
Spirituality is not to be learned by flight from the world or by running away from things or by turning solitary and going apart from the world. Rather, we must learn an inner solitude wherever or with whomsoever we may be. We must learn to penetrate things and find God there. Truly, it is in the darkness that one finds the light. So when we are in sorrow, then this light is nearest of all to us. Nothing in all creation is so like God as stillness. I am as sure as I live that nothing is so near to me as God. God is nearer to me than I am to myself. My existence depends on the nearness and the presence of God. And finally, wisdom consists in doing the next thing you have to do. Doing it with your whole heart and finding delight in doing it. So let's meditate. Ke Guru Pema Siddhi Hum Hum Orge Yuki Nuksam San Pema Gesa Dombola Yamsen Choki Mudubnye Pema June Shesuta Kodu Kando Mamburko Keki Jesu Datuki Jingil lapchi shiksu su guru pema siddhi hum hum orge yukir nukcham san pema gesa dombola yamsen shokir mudunye pema june shisuta kodu kando mamburko Eki Jesu Dabduki, Jingi Lapchi Shiksu Su, Guru Pema Siddhi Hum.
switch postures now. Settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural state. In the spirit of rejoicing and having this opportunity to do nothing besides cultivate your heart and mind so that you can find genuine happiness. Release all grasping, release all mundane concerns, all hopes and fears. And in that freedom from grasping, then rest at ease in the stillness of your own awareness. Return to the meditative cultivation of great empathetic joy. And we begin with the question, why couldn't all sentient beings never be parted from sublime happiness free of suffering? Reflect upon it, meditate upon this question until you have clarity and certainty.
And then we turn to the second phase, the aspiration. May it be so. May all sentient beings never be parted from sublime happiness, free of suffering, and arouse this aspiration with every outbreath, with every outbreath, flood the world with light, that all may see clearly what are the true causes of suffering, what are the true causes of happiness, and do now the sensible thing, abandon the underlying causes of suffering, cultivate causes of your own well-being. What could be more simple? May it be so. And we 
we turn to the resolve, I shall do so. I shall enable all sentient beings never to be parted from sublime happiness, free of suffering. And if you will arouse that resolve, that pledge, from a perspective from which it is authentic and realistic, Breathe out this promise. Fill the world with light.
from the question to the aspiration to the resolve, we move to the supplication. May the Guru and the Divine, the Guru and the Awakened Ones bless me to enable me to do so. With each in-breath, imagine, if you will, drawing in the light of blessings of all who are sacred, all these sublime beings, converging upon yourself to supersaturation. With each out-breath, breathe out your wealth. Breathe out the light of these blessings. And imagine this aspiration and this resolve being realized here and now.
release all appearances and aspirations, and be still. So the morning sessions will be just a few minutes late, like three or four, something like that. I'm going right back. See you there. Enjoy your day.